Rabbi Lappin, born into a prestigious Torah family. He was a student of his father, also Rabbi Lappin, who served the Jewish communities in Johannesburg and Cape Town. He is uh, a very good friend, a really decent man, and uh, you'll learn more from Rabbi Lappin in 20 minutes than most people will be able to teach you in, in, in a lifetime. Welcome. Well, now you've set me up to go nowhere but down. <laughs> I know. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Live up to that standard. How are you, Rabbi? Couldn't be better. Thank good, you, Glenn. Good. Wonderful to be with you. Uh, so I want to. I want to ask you. There was a. There was a, somebody who just lost their job at Fox a couple of weeks ago because they said, you know, I don't understand the, the God. They the the Democrats, and he didn't mean all Democrats, but the left. They'll they'll say they believe in God. He said, but I don't recognize their God. He said, I think it's more like uh, Baal. Uh, I wrote a book about the, the eye of Moloch. I think he's right. I think he's right. But he lost his job for that. Um, what does that what for people who don't know what he was talking about? Who is that God? Well, first of all, I mean, the question is whether that is really uh, who the left worships and I think it just may be um, overly technical in this sense that, um, and if I if I can disagree with you slightly, I'm not sure history is repeating itself. I think we are now in a period unprecedented in American history. In this epoch, we've never seen anything like this before because uh, what we have now is a huge divide mm-hmm. between the left and everybody else. And the left today has become an almost unmanageable collection of creeps and crooks and clowns and cranks. <laughs> I mean, just look at what makes mm-hmm. the left up today. Um, essentially, it's you might think of the left as the urban atheists of America. That's mm-hmm. that's essentially uh, the unifying creed. I think that's a slam on atheists. I really do. I know some atheists. They're not like that. I mean, some atheists are, but some, you know. And, and some are not. Now, we may right. be thinking of, of uh, a mutual friend with, with yeah, whom yeah. I was once yeah, yeah, together yeah. with, with you yeah. on, this, on this very show, right. uh, who yeah, most decidedly isn't. And, and you're right. I, I have to take it back with regard to people like him and many others. But, um, but there is a sense of, of worship on the left. And the only question is, what are they worshiping? Now, we could say they're worshiping Baal, uh, as, as you said. Um, we could also say that the divide is between those who worship the big G of God and the little G of government. Yeah, uh, There is a huge worship. Now, is the left a religion? Is it a belief system or is it just a political credo? And I, I would have to say it's a belief system. Yeah, I really. think it's a religion. And one, you know, what distinguishes a religion from a tennis club, for instance? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, you know, the Scientologists have a – everybody wants to call their, their lives a religion. Right. Uh, many people don't. But what it is that um, that distinguishes a religion from, you know, a model railroad society, if you like, mm-hmm. um, is that a religion has to tackle and answer the three basic questions, the, the fundamental questions. And, um, you know, if, if you've got an inquisitive kid sitting next to you on an airplane – the kid asks the the three fundamental questions: Where are you from? Where are you going? And what do you do? Mm-hmm. So, uh, where are we from? How did human beings, capable of moving from being land-bound creatures in 1902 uh, to 2019, 
where we've got more than 10,000 airplanes in the air at any given moment. Like, we are anybody who remains an atheist in contemplating the fact that it's not otters or beavers or camels or cows or kangaroos that have achieved this. It's something touched by the finger of God, a creature called human beings made this leap into the air. We're extraordinary creatures, but how did we get to this planet? And as far as we know at the moment, uniquely in this vast empty universe, we got to answer the question of how we got here. And um, and I answer that, that a, uh, a God created us in his image and put us here. My answer is quick, brief, and simple. A non-provable, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the religion of secular fundamentalism, which is, I think, a better term than a, you're right, Mm-hmm. I, I withdraw atheists. Secular fundamentalism is the official state religion of America. But why are they a religion? Because they answer that question. They say by a lengthy process of unaided materialistic evolution, primitive protoplasm turned into bookkeepers and ballerinas. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not provable either. But it's a belief. You also have to answer the second question. And, and hang is, on, isn't it a, isn't a sign of a religion when the belief goes from a theory to a defended at all costs belief? And that's what it is, because otherwise there's no way to explain why a group of gray-haired old ladies on the Upper East Side of New York have to file a lawsuit against a Louisiana parish for teaching creationism. What they are doing is just what the Muslims did when they invaded the Iberian Peninsula in the 7th century, basically demolished the Catholic churches and turned them into mosques. Mm -hmm. Uh, You cannot withstand heresy. If you are a devoted believer in your faith, and right there in front of you, right in your face, somebody is committing heresy, you kill them. Mm -hmm. And so what is the connection between a group of uh, ladies on the Upper East Side of New York and a Louisiana parish? Louisiana parish has the audacity to violate their belief system that we are here through a process of lengthy, unaided materialistic evolution by daring to teach creationism. Well, of course that's outrageous. And so we've got these two, uh, this clash between two cultures in America. We are no longer one nation under God. We are two nations occupying the same piece of real estate. And in this sense, history repeats itself because in the middle of the 19th century, we also found ourselves two nations occupying the same piece of real estate. That time we had to solve it by bullets, and I hope this time we can solve it by ballots. And that was why the religion of secular fundamentalism hates Donald Trump so much. Okay, so let me go back to uh, Baal or, or Moloch. Same God in the Old Testament? Moloch, Baal? Same interchangeable? Uh, n- no, no, not interchangeable, but close. Okay. Yeah. Um, Fellow travelers. Yeah. Okay. So um, the reason why I say that they, that I think this guy from Fox was, was actually onto something is not that they knowingly are worshiping, but we are unknowingly doing all of the same things their worshipers did. Sure. Well, Can you instance, go into that? Yes, yeah, certainly. One of the um, one of the outstanding characteristics of both Moloch and Baal, and, and you've you've spoken about this many times. I've heard you, um, is that uh, they used to sacrifice their kids. Now you got a little bit of this as well, as well um, among the um, Egyptians during the Pharaoh time, and uh, 
but in 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 practice this worship means that you have to you sacrifice your children as a way of expressing your fealty to the well how you do it and the reasons you do it are probably not that important but we do it here in other words right now in America, there are two cultures, and you can find some of the nicer small towns in America which are basically governed and shaped by those who worship the big G of God. And then you've got cities like New York and Detroit and Baltimore and Newark and many, many other cities today on the West Coast, California particularly, that are run by those who worship something else entirely. Now, where are the lives of young males sacrificed? It's clear. Where? In the cities that are run by secular fundamentalism, young men in disproportionate numbers end up in the criminal justice system and in jail. Their lives are sacrificed completely. And that is an exact fulfillment. In other words, what we do is so important that we don't care if it costs the lives of our sons. And that is what the culture is saying. We are so devoted to a lifestyle with absolutely no divine restraints. Because after all, I mean, what has held Western civilization together for centuries is really the, uh, the essential rituals and restraints and rules of religion. Mm-hmm. We want to toss all of that out. None of that holds. Uh, we want to do whatever we, we choose to sexually, and we want to do whatever we choose to financially, which usually means uh, taking it away from uh, those who have created it and bestowing it upon mm-hmm. those who are living multi-generational dysfunctionality. Mm-hmm. So uh, I- as long as we can do the things we want to do, the fact that our sons end up dead and in jail that's just a, f- a fair price to pay. If you a believer in Baal or secular fundamentalism, that's a deal with the devil you absolutely make. And you can see, and I mean, just you, look at America. You're also sacrificing your newborns, which they did. Absolutely. Uh, you, <clears throat> you, to be a follower, you had to have, you know, orgies and sex, get pregnant, and then you would return and sacrifice your newborn on the altar and, and celebrate, literally celebrate the death of that child. And, that's what we're seeing with with people who are are touting Planned Parenthood. And if you think about it, it's it's the most unbelievably selfish lifestyle. What you're saying is, I want to do whatever I darn well choose to, and if the next generation has to pay for it with their lives, hey, so be it. You said once we were talking about um, uh, Occupy Wall Street. And I don't know if you remember this. I do. Um, but you were talking about uh, excrement. And how that is <laughs> yes. it, it, is actually part of of all of this. Yeah. And you see it now. It's I mean, it's in the big progressive cities. It's everywhere on the streets. Yeah. And no. that's like that. I, I never grew up with ever hearing about stuff like that. So I'll tell you when it used to happen. You didn't hear about it much. But when you were growing up. What you used to come across, and and again, we didn't in our day-to-day lives, we didn't, but I know you have friends in law enforcement as I do, and I remember going back to to Los Angeles in the um, the 80s, Uh, they would tell me what the scene of a break-in sometimes looked like when they would come to a place that had been robbed, usually on the west side of Los Angeles, Brentwood, Santa Monica, Beverly mm-hmm. Hills, mm-hmm. Beverly Wood, uh, in, in those uh, upscale areas, when those houses were broken into, 
they almost invariably discovered that those who broke in had uh, left a fecal business card behind, usually on the living room carpet. Hmm. That's what they did. Uh, because in primitive societies, right, and all societies that are stripped of faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob eventually devolve into primitivism. Mm -hmm. And we see that, by the way, today also with piercings, uh, body piercings going mm -hmm. on, very indistinguishable from the cannibals of New Guinea of 100 mm -hmm. years ago. Uh, body piercings is an expression of primitivism and tribalism. And when you strip away uh, biblical Judeo-Christian values, then automatically we devolve down into that. And so uh, these people were expressing their contempt for the homes into which they had illegally invaded by depositing this. We'll also find that in uh, low-grade street language, one of the worst invectives you can hurl at somebody also has to do mm -hmm. with that part of the anatomy. So this is very primitive. This is very basic. Um, this is basically toddlers who are 30 and 40 years old still acting mm. like toddlers. Right. Baal is central to that. All right. Uh, we're back with uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin here in, in just a second. More from him. So, Rabbi, what are the things? I mean, we I've been talking. We're a covenant nation. Yes. And, uh, you know, our covenant is not just, hey, God, forgive us for what we've done. You actually have to change. You have to actually do things and change your life. God's not going to just come in and save us and we can still do all the things we're doing. What are the big principles that we as a people and as a nation have to get back to quickly to be able to get a hedge of protection again? And um, I think that it's worthwhile starting off with the practical rather than the abstract. Yeah. And so, yes, there are beliefs and there are principles, but the the most practical step in the entire codex of ancient Jewish wisdom for improvement, development, and moving onwards and upwards is to realize that you change your actions in order to change your thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. You don't start off trying to change your thoughts, feelings, and beliefs in the hope that it'll change your actions, because it never does. Hmm. And so you have so to. So what do you? You uh, have to act today, the way you would act if you had the beliefs and feelings you wished you would have, and those will eventually fall into compliance with your actions. But you can't think. You can't serve two masters. You can't be split in your mind. So you do. I mean, you, as you think, it will become. I mean, you, so you do have to work on your thinking as well. You can't just think the old thoughts and do something because then you're split in half, aren't you? Uh, not really, because one of the this was Scott Fitzgerald of the Great Gatsby once said, not in that book, somewhere else. He once said, "The mark of a great person is the ability to hold in mind two conflicting thoughts and to be able to continue to function." And that's really, I mean, you know, think of uh, an heir whose who's beloved father dies and, and leaves him a huge fortune. Conflicting feelings. Mm -hmm. Clearly conflicting feelings. And human beings are built by God to be able to operate with conflicting feelings. 
Conflicting actions is something else altogether. That's a lot harder to so do. So tell me, so, but then tell me, you know, God speaks. I mean, you believe the Torah, the, the words. I believe that that is God's blueprint for humanity given by Moses on Mount Sinai. But you also believe that those words are alive, right? Yes, and, yeah. and extremely practical. Right. So that goes to, um, you know, God speaks and it becomes. Yes. So how do you, we have a minute. <laughs> Let me yeah. ask you a really complex question yeah. in a minute. Right. Well, in 30 seconds, yeah. the solution to humanity's problem. <laughs> right. Oh, gosh, we're I out mean, of time. How do you, uh, how do you, I mean, do you see what I'm saying here? That yeah. it's, it Look, is your, um, if you, your thoughts and your If you speak words. about God's biblical blueprint, then the first two chapters clarify it. And, and that is that the, the focus as Adam and Eve are being evicted from the Garden of Eden, the focus is on by the sweat of your brow you will eat bread, which is not part of the curse, by the way. That's really part of the solution. Uh, bread, which is a metaphor for money, right? Which is why many cultures have the slang dough or bread. Mm-hmm. Can you lend me some dough? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where that comes from. And uh, the other thing is marriage. So uh, you want to bring about change in America, money and marriage. Back in a second. This is the Glenn Beck Program, and we're with uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. You can find him at RabbiDanielLappin.com, RabbiDanielLappin.com. Read his books, listen to his podcasts. They're fantastic. You can find him wherever you find podcasts. He's also a a member of uh, the Blaze podcast, so we're thrilled to have him here. Um, I want to share something with you. Um, I shared with the listeners a couple of days ago. Uh, it is something that was was drawn up and done by the Librarian of Congress uh, at the request of the Congress in 18. Let me see what it says here. I think it's 1888. Uh, and it is historical geography. And I just want to read what it says. It's a map of the United States and it has two trees and one is bent and gnarled and it runs into the south and that is slavery and then the the uh, blessing of liberty a tree that's very straight and runs all across the northern part uh it says um this map map represents uh those colonies by two trees whose striking contrast will be apparent to the most superficial observer but not more though than the historic facts that make them appear The student of history here can see at a glance that it would require him years of hard study to glean from textbooks, and many will see the moral of this subject here for the first time. It's said that history repeats itself. We do not claim that it does, but there is a similarity between the first colony of the old world and the first colonies of the new world. The first colony of the old world, what would you say that is? The first colony of the old world. Um, Garden of Eden. Yeah, and I would never have thought of it that way. I thought that was an interesting. The first colony of the old world was established in the Garden of Eden where good and evil existed and the evil caused the downfall of man. So it was in the new world. Good and evil came here also. Good to Plymouth, bad to Jamestown. 
As the tree which bore the forbidden fruit caused the curse to be brought upon man in Eden, so did the tree of liberty uh, of uh, slavery in Jamestown. There was constant warfare in the old world between good and evil, and there has been in the new world. The evil of Jamestown has always been, and to this day, at war with the good of Plymouth. Much of the trouble in the New World was caused this way. In 1620, each colony planted a tree. The Tree of Liberty, then quite small, was planted by the pilgrims upon the Bible at Plymouth, where it receives God's blessings, which accounts for its wonderful growth. The Tree of Slavery was brought from the Old World, and the people of Jamestown also planted this tree. Um, in, uh, in time, a dispute arose between the two uh, colonies as to which tree should grow so large that it would occupy all of the land. Goes into slavery. Um, this made the southern man jealous. He decided to murder his northern brother, Cain, as Cain of old had done with Abel. Uh, for this sin, God set a black mark upon Cain and sent Father Abraham, Lincoln, uh, with his big emancipation acts to cut the uh, tree of slavery down. The grand and noble thoughts recorded, the wonderful inventions, our free schools, many blessings we enjoy today, all of it tends to elevate mankind, our heirlooms handed down from the Puritans and their children, while nearly every evil which exists in political economy of our beloved country can be cha- tra- traced back to the pernicious teachings of the Jamestown settlers and their children. Jamestown, listen to this, commissioned by Congress. Jamestown is no more, but the colony still lives in the form of the Democratic Party. Plymouth is a flourishing city and her children now in the form of the Republican Party of this great country. For verification of these facts, study the history of the United States. If a librarian of Congress were to write that today, I think he might lose his job. Oh, definitely <laughs> lose his job. Definitely. They might want to take him up to Massachusetts and burn him at the stake. At the least. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So the the idea, though, I, that I, I thought of this, of these two trees, and it being the tree of knowledge, good and evil, and uh, w- w- when we look back on history, it it is so what repeats itself is the spiritual nature. That's right. The the events don't necessarily uh, repeat themselves, but... A struggle between the dichotomy of, of right. light and, and darkness. And the and way it plays yeah. out, uh, you know, always seems to play out in very similar ways. And nothing changes, yes. I mean, look, uh, the fundamental distinction was that uh, the pilgrims established a colony that was founded on biblical principles that's what that's what fueled them that's why they left england in the first place they came bringing the ainsworth bible with them Uh, none of that was true in jamestown Mm -hmm. Um, and to this very day it continues to be the same struggle i did an experiment uh, the other day uh glenn which which i think you'll find interesting and and so will our listeners and that is uh, i got hold of 20 fairly recently published books attacking uh, Christian conservatives, attacking evangelicals, many of them mainstream publishers. These are books that were in the bookstores, available. Um, I'm not talking about fringe publications. Mm -hmm. These were hateful and horrible books against Christianity. And I thought to myself, let's see what they look like if you replace the word Christian in the title with, shall we say, uh, homosexual? And you'd see 
the culture today in America would never tolerate this kind of bigotry and hatred against any protected species in America. Mm-hmm. But since it's against Christians, everything is hunky-dory. It's cool, no problem. So I really do think that the war against Christianity as the most uh, visible uh, manifestation of the one side, if you like, the pilgrim side as opposed to the Jamestown side, I think that continues to this day. I think the uh, war against Kavanaugh was a war against a religious man, and that, that's always been the case. Uh, I don't think there's any question that the cultural struggle in America today can be uh, encapsulated into a struggle between those who view biblically-based Judeo-Christian values as vital for our nation's survival against those who consider them to be dreadful and primitive obstructions to what they call progress. How do you, um, how do you balance, for instance, I, I, there are some people, right now, I think what's happening with the impeachment is what happened with uh, O.J. Simpson and the glove. There was so much passion in the African-American community to stick it to the man that they overlooked DNA evidence, blood splatters in the car, shoe prints, his shoes, everything, everything that won the civil case. Okay, they dismissed all of that because of the glove, and it was, it was their right or or, or wrong, their desire to finally have a black man win a case in a court where everything stacked against him. Now they now you look at polls and you'll see the African American community says that this guy is guilty of sin. He was guilty of sin. Shouldn't have gone free. But that wasn't the passion at the time. Look, President Obama um was a fatally flawed and unqualified candidate except for one thing. The color of his skin. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Do you agree with that still? I think I mean that that is one of the reasons why I put him over the top. But I think he was a good, effective speaker other Um, than that. And I would dispute that because I have seen you speak off the cuff. I've seen you speak for 40 minutes without any notes in front of you, Glenn. I've also seen the three or four notorious instances of President Obama when the teleprompter broke down. He's not an eloquent speaker. He's a good reader. Okay. Yeah, maybe I I give you that. Um, But what's happening here with, with Donald Trump is... We are disconnecting from the facts. You have to go with the facts. But just like O.J. Simpson, there are so many people that just want him out. Mm. You know what I mean? They want him out. And if the the glove fits, he (laughs) did it. Yeah, it's emotional. Right. And so they're not looking at at facts. How do we disconnect on, on all sides? How do you disconnect from that visceral oh, we got to win, or we want him out, or whatever it is, and get back to a society that says, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. How do you do that in the moment? What has to happen in our society? What are we missing? What do we do? Um, the, the answer is one that I don't think uh, is going to be popular. Uh, 
There are certain truisms that get uttered repeatedly to the point where everyone believes them, although they're completely false, many things like that. One of them is violence never solves anything. Now, I'm not advocating violence, obviously, but that as a statement, that's a flagrant lie. Violence nearly always solves something. World Mm -hmm. War II ushered in the longest period of European peace we've ever seen in the Mm -hmm. world to date, and that was solved by violence. Violence. It was called a victory. Mm -hmm. And when we refrain from that, uh, we, um, we, we make sure that things continue festering. The Civil War was horribly violent. It was very much like the civil war between the North and the South in Israel two and a half millennia earlier. Mm. A newfound nation torn apart between North and South over a moral issue. It was horribly violent, but it did resolve things. (laughs) It settled things. Now, Mm -hmm. as I said, I think we can resolve them by ballots rather than bullets. But until this thing is won by one side or another, nothing happens we go nowhere so it's not going one side's not going to crawl back into its cave and be put you know put a lid on it where it's still there well, and influential look, you, but you yourself are you are a, a flag bearer for one side there's millions and millions of americans who tune into you and want to know what you're thinking about things i know that as a fact are you ready to crawl into your cave no, and I say won't. surrender i don't no, think I so and neither is the other side you know, it's always uplifting you know, I wish to I have you. And it's always, I, mean, I wish I could right. sing a lullaby and <laughs> right, I know, make everything I know, good. I know. But our job is not to massage people with warm butter. It's yeah. to tell the truth. Rabbi Daniel Lappin. You can find him at RabbiDanielLappin.com. Uh, you find his podcast, his books. Uh, but you should follow this man. He is uh, great. You can f- you can follow him on Twitter at Daniel Lappin or his website, RabbiDanielLappin.com. Rabbi, thank you so much. Thank you. As always, good to see you. Thanks. I hope to have Rand Paul on tomorrow, uh, on tomorrow's broadcast, uh, to talk about this whistleblower. I think he is doing absolutely the right thing uh, in creating interest in this whistleblower. Because once you know who this whistleblower is, the whole impeachment story changes. Uh, And uh, hopefully we'll have him on. Also, Bill O'Reilly will join us tomorrow. I want to play some audio here of uh, Mark Meadows. Uh, He stopped to fact-check a reporter as he's walking by, he hears this reporter say, your Republicans are struggling to defend Donald Trump. He can't take it. You know, he turns around. Listen. Hold on. We have Mark Meadows right here. Congressman Meadows, can we talk a lot? So he, he's walking by right now. But Republicans are really struggling to defend the president. Okay, great. Not struggling on anything. Okay, so Congressman. So the Republicans are not struggling on anything. So, Congressman, there's one person who has testified that there's no quid pro quo. Others, many others have said that there is. So how do you justify that, and how do you continue to defend the president? Well, there's, there's more than one. There's, there's one on terms of the deposition being released, which is Ambassador Volker's yesterday. And even with... Uh, Ambassador Sondland. He said he doesn't know why the aid was held up, still doesn't know, and certainly from that standpoint, there was no quid pro quo. But Sondland told the, Sondland told, I uh, came and revised his testimony, oh, said that, that he told the uh, Ukraine, a top official to uh, Zelensky. Mr. 
Yeah, that that the aid was being withheld until there was investigation. Well, no, he, what he told was that that was his presumption. If you read it, I've read it very carefully. I've read the the allegations that are there. One, he said he didn't know, and that was his presumption. Any time that anyone talks to the president, he has been very clear. There is no linkage. There is no quid pro quo. And to su- suggest otherwise goes against a lot of other testimony that we've already heard. It's Mark Meadows after coming up 14 flights of stairs Yeah, uh, to do an yeah. interview, apparently. Uh, it, it's weird. I mean, look, I've, I've said from the beginning, I think you have as well. You have a quid pro quo when you go buy a pizza, right? You give them currency and they give you pizza. That's a quid pro quo. There's nothing wrong inherently with a quid pro quo. It's the reason that you're doing it. And the media continually assumes that he's doing it only for evil, personal, political gain. Joe Biden had a quid pro quo. Fire this prosecutor. Get him to stop these investigations or I won't give you money. That's quid pro quo. Doesn't seem to be a problem. Not only did he admit to it, he bragged bragged about about it it. years later to show how cool he was. Right. So um, now, thank you, God he did. If you want to define, this is how this is how we need to start answering this. If you want to define quid pro quo as give me dirt to use on my Democratic uh, opponents, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. If you define quid pro quo as look, before I give you any more money, I want to know what happened to our seven billion dollars. I want to know what happened during the last election. I want to know what's happening with the State Department and the CIA. And quite frankly, yes, I do want to know about Joe Biden. And Burisma, there's corruption all over this. And I don't know if I can even trust you because some of the bad people, I think, are still around you. I call that being a good president and a good steward of our country. You want to call that quid pro quo? Then yeah, there is. Listening to Glenn.